Secrets to Real Estate Investing, Episode 93. Welcome to the Secrets of Real Estate Investing Show, where you'll learn powerful strategies from top experts to take your investments to the next level. Here's your host and expert real estate investor, Holly McCann. Hey guys, welcome to another exciting episode of Secrets to Real Estate Investing. I have with me today, Mr. Blake Stevens from Colorado, who has generously offered to share some of his experiences and wisdom and knowledge and success with us today to help you guys out in your house flipping and real estate investing journey. So with that, welcome to the show, Blake. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Holly. Yeah, it's good I'm to meet you at an event and I like recognize you like a little bit and then I'm like, oh superstar Holly you have a <laughs> right? you're funny you're funny yeah love the pink heart out yeah that gets me out there well why don't you start by telling our listeners kind of your background and what you did before real estate how you got into it and a little bit about your journey all right. Yeah. I've been doing real estate like 10 years now, but it's kind of sounds longer than it should be. Uh, cause I started as an accidental landlord. So I was one of those motivated sellers. <laughs> oh yeah. So it was 2008 and around here, the market crashed a little earlier, but it really started crashing then. And like Bayer Stearns and Lehman brothers and stuff were going out of business. And so then I lived in a house as a starter home with my wife for, seven years but I refinanced four times during those seven years wow so I ate up all the equity and my payment kept going down uh -huh. but I went to sell it and uh, my realtor did a market analysis and they said you'd have to pay about 15 grand if you bring it to closing you know on good luck on a $175,000 house you know starter house in Loveland Colorado and so I was like well that doesn't sound good after living here seven years you know that I gotta pay money to sell it and it was, I wasn't going to let it go to foreclosure or do a bankruptcy or you know, short sale or anything. So then I just said, all right, I'm going to lose a hundred bucks a month plus maintenance and stuff and just manage it myself and break even. And it wasn't too bad. Went through a few bumps and then found I kind of liked it and then uh, was looking into doing more and more and started researching and finding out what you can do on investing. Wow. That's um, really interesting, but I'd rather lose a hundred a month with the hope of appreciation over time than just take a $15,000 hit right then and there. So I think that's really smart how you did that. Yeah. And I mean, we bought the house we live in now, you know, um, and it was a bigger, better house than we probably ever planned on buying. And so we wouldn't be able to buy it at that time. It hadn't been on the market like seven months anyway, you know, it was on the market all summer. We bought it in the fall. Um, and so, you know, it, kind of worked out and then that's what I thought is like hey it'll work out over time and we went through a couple of bad renters one lady that cheated on her husband who was overseas in Iraq at the time and it would have her parents call and yell at me and, and she was an adult she was like 30 I think she was older than me at the time or close to the same age um but her but her adult parents would call and yell at me it's like I haven't even heard about this maintenance problem have your daughter call me and I'll handle it you know like I want the maintenance to be good so you know you go through some bad ones and then I got a great one who they got hit by the economy and moved in and they lived there five years and only recently moved out so it worked out now it's worth way more than that and I refied it and got rid of the you know mortgage insurance and stuff and so now cash flows and got a bunch of equity so it works out and then I was looking into real estate more and more and uh I guess I even went, one of the mistakes I made early on is kind of a funny story is I went to an auction 
it was like the downturn. It was a Williams and Williams auction. So they had 20 properties of this guy that lived in like the most expensive million dollar neighborhood in our area. And he had like 20 slumlord properties, a bunch of singles and multifamilies and things. And so I, I researched one, which is a good duplex. And I even like home inspected it with a guy from my church ahead of time and everything like that. And so I went in there and uh, the auction's going and uh, people are bidding and going and it's a live auction. And so I bid on that and I won it. And it was like kind of a high price, you know, it'd still be good as a rental and 20% down type of normal investing. And, uh, and then I kind of got auction fever and my wife called me in the middle and she could hear it in my voice. And she's like, don't bid anymore. Don't bid anymore. And I hung up on her. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and then, uh, and then I bid on this, like, uh, I thought it was a house in like a small town in Wellington near us. And it turned out it was a mobile on land. So I won this thing that I thought was a house. And then we drove by with my wife and it was a mobile on land. And so she was really great about it. And she, uh, she laughed and it would have been a good return anyway because it rented section eight like 1100 a month and it's a mobile home on land in the you know the small small town downtown uh so it would have worked out as 40 grand it would have been in my ira so even a bad mistake in real estate like that buying a house i'd never seen at an auction when it got carried away it still would have been a really good cap rate and return on investment and everything <laughs> so but we got out of that contract they didn't accept it in seven days so i was able to get it out and then uh, at Christmas, a couple years later, my sister told me to, she cussed a little bit. My sister, I'm partners with my sister, Michaela, so women in real estate, you know, so I'm partners with her. And she, uh, she cussed at me and said, quit bringing this up. You know, she worked on a foreclosure team in Connecticut at the time and had bundled subprime loans and been a mortgage broker and done a ton of stuff. And she said, quit talking about this and actually do something or don't ruin Christmas dinner. Always talking about real estate, never doing anything. So then I sent like $900 worth of yellow letters, like on three different hits and got a deal and, you know, was really scared. I was super nervous making the first offer I can remember. And I like shot a super, super, super low offer. Like I offered like 50 grand and like, even in the downturn, the comparable sales were like the low ones were a hundred, but some were still selling for 125, 140, 150. And uh, the ladies like went pale, you know, cause she, <laughs> she didn't know really either what the house would be worth. And so it didn't work out that day, but uh, a second letter followed up and she called me while I was at a real estate training event. And so then I took the call and left like the training and like talked to her and kind of worked out owner finance actually on that first one but it didn't work out because I couldn't get a loan with a seller carry second. Like people thought it was a scam or hard money lenders had trouble with it or things like that. So then I said, Hey, how about we just do cash? She's like, I'd rather do cash anyway. We got a great deal. And uh, I sent an email out to uh, my local real estate club and uh, four guys that were super experienced took an hour out of their time or more drive time to go walk through that house, tell me exactly what I should fix, tell me if it was a good deal or not. Nobody tried to steal the deal from me. Um, and uh, three of those guys I still see real regularly, two are real close friends, and one I'll probably get to know a little better. Um, and the other guy's just a super great landlord that doesn't need to come around or go to events anymore. He's just got a ton of properties. So it's pretty cool how people help each other out and, you know, I, you know, I got helped out a lot starting out and helped avoid mistakes. And now I try to pass it on and help people too. So, so do you wholesale or do you flip? Uh, I go direct to seller because I like that. Mostly I get quite a bit of a referral, kind of like you do. And I mostly flip myself. I prefer to burr, I guess, the common strategy. Uh-huh. Or- 
raise now. So I buy, fix, rent, refi. Uh, so that's preferred method. And so I got my 10 government loans, as I like to say. Um, and now we're working through my wife's. So, and that's kind of cool too. She only has pay through our flipping company, but she's had a W2 for like three years now and she has no debt and just cash flowing assets so she can get loans without a real job. Um, she's a homemaker kind of for her primary job. And, uh, so we're working through her loans now. So try to get those 20 slots filled up on long-term 30 year, 4% debt. So that is awesome. So listeners take advantage of that. I mean, Blake, that's awesome. I think I got, um, a couple of years ago, I went through and refied a bunch of rentals that I have private loans on. I think I got seven or eight with, um, California Credit Union. I'll put their name out there. They were great. I don't know if they're still great, but a few years ago, they did my own personal residence refi, a HELOC, and a whole bunch of rental properties. It was awesome. And I think I'm at four and a quarter percent. So that's so cheap compared to like doing any kind of private money or hard money loans. So definitely take advantage of that. It helps the cash flow a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. And commercial lenders are good, but they're on variable rates because those uh, local bank commercial lenders, I use a lot on like flip financing or once we get over like all these 20 government loans or whatever, we'll have to go to probably a local bank will be the next best spot or maybe private, but uh they, they're smart, right? It's their own money. So they don't lend on 30 years, you know, and take the interest rate risk. They put the interest rate risk on you too, you know? So yeah, worry that like we have inflation and rates go up to 10, 12, 15% again. And now it doesn't cash flow or not, you know, where uh, I think there's only two countries in the world that have 30 year loans and we're the only fixed rate ones. Like France has 30 year loans, but they're mostly adjustable. And there's other places that have like 15 year fixed, but we're the only country in the world that subsidizes our real estate market with 30 year fixed. So you might as well take advantage of it. Yeah, absolutely. Great opportunity. And I think my loans too, just to let you listeners know what's out there. I think mine is a 30 year amortization, but it's due in seven years. So they only stuck their neck out for seven years at the four and a quarter percent. So at that point I'll have to either refi, pay it off, do something, but it's due in seven years. Who knows? Maybe they'll want to extend it at that point, but they definitely have their, way out their opt out if the rates have gone up to protect them so cool um is your price so you do flipping and holding then right obviously mm-hmm. you're holding a lot so you do a mixture of both then yeah i think i've done about 50 deals and i think we have about 13 rentals now so there's a couple i don't really count them until you get the refi done but uh i have two more in process that i plan to hold um, and one's like almost done. Wood floors are going in this week. Um, so that should be done. Like say give a week for wood floors and then a week for punch list and then rent it out. So that should be done. And I'm doing a big duplex. Um, so that one's kind of cool. It's a big old duplex, 1920s in Greeley, kind of in their downtown and their downtown hasn't really super revitalized like some cities have, but it's getting more there, more development going on. And it's a, just a big old brick cool house from 1920s with original floors and stuff but it had been vacant for a long time um like five years or something so uh that's a pretty big project for me and it'll be my first like multi-unit so it'll be up down duplex but should be awesome and how did you get that one uh that one was a vacant list so i bought like a vacant list um and mailed so last year at about this time like no well november 
then I mailed a bunch. So I did three months. No, I did three drops in two months and I did 15,000 on each drop. So I did 45,000 mail pieces. I did half letters, half postcards. And we like got deals off of that. And that was one, like my sister was the acquisitions manager. We kind of partner up on a who does what part of the project type of split instead of being like owners in a company together. Um, so she went and got that deal, talked to him. It was a property manager that bought it from a bank. So they were managing the property kind of like as an asset manager or something. And then they bought it from the bank. Uh, I don't even know. I think it, they, it was already bank owned, but they bought it direct from the bank because it was a smaller bank out of Colorado Springs. And so then they bought it and they had planned to fix it up but they were investors themselves as well as property managers. So they got, they were like, well, we're going to retire. It's been a year. We've had this thing and they bought it for 50. So then they flipped it to me for like 77,000 or something like that. And it'll probably, it's going to need a lot of work. It's like a shell kind of, um, but you know, it'll probably be worth close to 300,000 when done and probably like a hundred grand of, wow, you know, work on it and stuff. Right. So, yeah. And then what would the, what are your rents going to be? I always love to hear about what rents are in different parts of the country. So. Yeah, I'm not totally sure because I haven't done multifamily. I don't know what the drop off is compared to single family and stuff like that, but it's not super far from campus. It's not very far from the hospital. Um, So it's strange. That's like a lower price market in us. So that's like further on the plains kind of it's like another 45 minutes from me from kind of on the foothills and so the the it's like a hundred thousand person town and the median price is something like 250 or 225 now um but the rents are only slightly less than my town which would be like a little more uh higher end and so i think it'll still rent for maybe it's like three bedrooms up so it'll probably you know be close to like 13 or 1400 and then two bedrooms down so that'll probably be a thousand or 900 or something you know so it'll i like to get like a one percent yeah rent cost rent to cost is pretty good around here you know it's it's not a super high cash flow market you know we have do have medium high value values it's not southern california values but like you know our market trends along pretty much the same as Denver most of the time. So interesting. Yeah. I, when we acquired our rentals, we stopped probably three, four years ago, but we did them for a few years, some on purpose, some accidental, but we were going, they had to meet that 1% rule. But I mean, it's pretty amazing. Right there, huh? Yeah. I mean, there's this one we bought in a little town called Riverside. Well, it's a big town. <laughs> I think we paid 150 grand for the house and we're like, well, we could probably rent it for 1500. Maybe we should hold it and see if it's going to appreciate. Maybe that was four or five years ago. It's now worth like 300,000. I'm like, dang, I'm glad we kept that one. We've done it like all nice with a kind of a really light carpet and some granite countertops back when granite was more in style, obviously because now it's quartz and we did it too nice for a rental and my people have definitely kind of thrashed it, but you know, it's okay. I can replace some carpet and stuff for, for that kind of appreciation. Yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. That's what I, I mean, I try to be humble about stuff because I think a lot of times I was doing it at the right time and more lucky than good. Um, especially in certain rehabs, we went over budget and we were wrong on the ARB on the low side but not because we were so great and we were being conservative just because we didn't know the air and we were wrong. But he says, good, we weren't wrong on the upside. And then there was just huge appreciation while we were going. So it's kind of, all right, be humble. Know that 
I'm more lucky than good, but hey, I'll take it. And then same thing, since I try to keep as much as possible, and I know a lot of people, because I kept all my biggest deals mostly. Um, and so I passed up, you know, 60, 80 grand flips because I could keep that with no money in, you know, and have 25% equity or 5% down and a lot of equity or a few, like the very first one, I got like two grand back and a cash flowing rental and it appreciated like crazy because I already has been going up. So, you know, just the more Sweet. doors that can support themselves, I'm trying to stack on and I'm not too worried about a crash or anything like that. I know I'll be smart and I'll adjust. And if I lose everything, it's no big deal. I'll just start over again. <laughs> and I'm not planning on it. I try to be conservative. but Yeah, once you've got the skills, you can do it again. You've done it before. You can do it again. That's awesome. Well, tell us about like um, your most interesting deal. <laughs> Yeah. Why don't, why don't you talk about the meth house that you alluded to before? What happened there? Well, there's a couple. I've done like three meth houses um, and I try to specialize. And so, you know, maybe ask, hey, why are you good at certain things? Like I would research something and I would call everybody, you know, like if you're trying to get a bank, like you don't just call a few banks or a few lenders or a few mortgage brokers. You call all the mortgage brokers and not many people do that. So it was my second deal. I was looking for deals. It was like... 12, 2012 or something. So there was still foreclosures on the market. So they had a meth house, a known meth house, and it was condemned. You couldn't go inside. So the city had like red tagged it and like locked the doors and stuff. And there's a big sign on the front and it was bank owned and it had been on the market a while and they'd been dropping the price. And so you always get scared when you're a winner on a like MLS deal because you're like the highest bidder and you're like, am I, what did I not know? Yes. <laughs> and that was my second deal. And I knew it was a meth house and I, had never done one, but I just researched a bunch. And I, the Colorado law is only like five pages, but I read the law, you know, so I knew the rules and I called all the contractors because you have to have a certified contractor. And then there's a uh, industrial hygienist that clears the property after the contractor cleans it. So then I called a bunch of them um, and got bids and I just found the cheapest ones that I thought were going to be good. Mm -hmm. They're all certified and stuff. And so then I bid and estimated my prices and things like that. And then, you know, it was super butterfly when I did it and got a hard money loan on that one. I think, I think financing was tough on that one. I think I did a private loan on that one. And I went to the, like the most expensive hard money lender here. And I thought, Oh, I'm going to take this tough deal. That's a meth house to them. And it's going to be 14 and four, but you know, it'll be quick and it'll get done quick. And they're the, you know, high end guys. And I've learned a lot from them. They're real good guys. They're training on like evaluating ARV on a property is great, but uh, they, they jack the rate up to like 15 and five and we're going to be oh. like a month to close and all this stuff. So then I think I used a private lender. I'm pretty sure on that one. And, uh, and a second so that I had all my dollars in covered so I could refi it out. Cause it's really hard to cash out refi. And at that time, I don't even think a cash out refi was available. Now you can cash out refi up to 10 and it's just a higher interest rate, but you can always refi at a loan. It's kind of weird. So I did mm. a first and a second and bought it and stayed on budget, but it was kind of freaky because people were telling me, Hey, you're going to have to rip the roof off. You're going to have to demo that house. It's all methy. There was like a sex dungeon with like chains and hooks and stuff. What? A sex dungeon? Okay. Yeah. I've never had that. I've had weird yeah. stuff, but <laughs> like no sex dungeons. Yeah. It sounds like a little creepy, but yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. There's some good photos for, for Facebook. That's for sure. Huh? Yeah. Stuff yeah. And, with I mean, chains and swings. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> you worry about the stigma too on like the back end. So I kept that as a rental, but then I could show the people, Hey, the house went down to studs. Then we cleaned the studs. Then they tested the studs and it's all, it's all good. Um, and so the renters, you know, at that point are like, yeah, for sure. It's, it's fine and clean and good and everything like that. You know, so, um, so you would live in it yourself, right? Yeah. 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 I'm sure you treat, I know you treat people right. Like I do. I don't try and jerk people around or have people live in a house that I wouldn't live in myself. Now, not to say that I'd be excited to live in any of my houses, but you know, I know there's nothing dangerous. Mine's the opposite. Like, uh, I have a nice house. It's a big house. It's got a real nice walkout basement. There's like a Creek in the backyard and a city open space and stuff. Um, but it's all golden Oak and like white and uh, you know, our kids have kind of beat it up and like original tile and things. I let my wife carpet one of the bedrooms. It was a carpeted bathroom. I mean, <laughs> so I let her tile that one, but otherwise I'm like super cheap. And I'm like, that's not a investment to remodel our house. <laughs> and then, like, even our cheapest, cheapest rental, like a hundred grand rental gets like tile and sometimes granite because it's so small, you know, it's not that much more than things and stainless appliances, you know. <laughs> so so your rentals are nicer than your own personal residence. That's yeah, what you're telling me. Go. Oh my gosh. That is a crack up. So that so, might be a goal for this year is to like make enough money to be able to like remodel the house. Yeah. Oh, I have to admit there's lots of unfinished things on my own house that we I mean, we flipped it. We thought we were going to flip it and then we moved into it. And my husband's always like, eh, no, I don't want to pull the contractors off the job. I don't want it. That's not important. Let's just keep focusing on the other projects. I'm like, I want my house done. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, yeah, like, yeah. like the millionaire desk store or like approval thing or even like rich dad, poor dad. Like, is that an expense or an investment? That's an expense, you know? Right. I'm not going to make it, you know, but same thing. Like if it improves your quality of life and you feel better and everything like that. Then, And you know, you're going to do it before you sell it. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'll tell my husband, I'm like, you know, really we're going to do it before we sell it eventually, whenever that is, whether it's one year, five years. So let's just enjoy it. Right. (laughs) Yeah. No, I talked to a really good, like uh, he's a realtor and a investor and his theory is why renovate a house twice. So his rentals, he just does like as is because he knows he's going to have to completely renovate it. All that depreciation is kind of true. And that the house three years from now, the style is going to look all weird. It'll be like our white and gray is going to be the avocado of now. Yes. Uh, And you'll have to renovate it again. And so he's like, why renovate it then? He just puts 20% down or 25% down or whatever, and then holds it and then plans for a renovation at the end where me, I'm trying to force that equity in the beginning. So I don't have to put as much down so I can roll that down payment through houses and stack more up and get them done more quickly. And then, you know, you know, hopefully if there's appreciation or if there's not, I'm at least getting loan pay down on more houses than fewer. So. Well, and I've found too, that when, I mean, these houses we bought up a few years ago, when we did them really nice, which at the time really nice was like the dark brown espresso wood cabinets with like Santa Cecilia granite, you know, really nice, you know, neutral granite. I mean, people were like beating the doors down, dying to get in there, stainless steel appliances. They wanted that because most rentals were golden oak, no offense, you know, golden oak cabinets and white appliances. So when they see it like all super nice, they were like fighting over it. And I think I got some better quality tenants. And then they, for the most part, take really good care of it. Got one family that turned from, it was going to be 
three of them and now there's seven of them in it and all the oh, doors man. are like i walked through the kitchen and the doors are like hanging off the hinges i'm like oh my gosh they beat it all the heck but you know you're gonna get some of them <laughs> it happens yeah yeah well let's talk about um your other interesting little story you had with um drama on the house where the sellers left town what happened there yeah this is just recently and then uh i learned a lesson from a guy like i don't know i believe in i try to be sometimes you clam up and you want to hold things tight but the abundance thing like when i get started people help me a ton for free you know and you pass referrals around like i referred like my meth people to another friend of mine and now you know they're outbidding me on houses it's kind of like ah like i gave them all those people you know like yeah um, but same thing it comes around it goes around you know it gets better um and so on this one i kind of made a mistake i got a house pretty cheap a uh, local acquisitions guy for a guy that I wholesale the house to in December. So then I, I don't wholesale much, but I kind of got a goal of marketing enough where I fill up my guys, I keep my crews busy and then pass on the rest to other people. Um, and so I needed money for Christmas. So that guy kind of taught me something and I learned this lesson twice now, one by not following through on what I had written down and being too nice and then how this guy does business. And so, uh, it was a, an estate property, really nice lady. She took care of her parents, um, came back home with the elderly parents. All right. One passed away. The second one, now she's ready to move on with her life. Sure. Goal was to get her RV, move out, you know, travel the world, live for herself. Cause she'd been taking care of her family for quite a while. And, uh, so I bought it right before Thanksgiving and we had trouble on getting the loan payoff, which I hadn't had before. So there's another thing you're always learning something. It was a reverse mortgage. Yes. Um, the thing. And then she those are hard. <laughs> yeah. She did the probate herself. She didn't have an attorney or anything. And she did all the paperwork herself and the county helped her out. She did her own probate and she was the personal representative and the sole heir basically. And, uh, was going to get all the money from the house. So the reverse mortgage is sending letters all the time saying, we want our money. This death happened. Give us all our money. We're going to foreclose in 30 days and stuff. And then we request a payoff through the title company and we're all set to go and they won't send the payoff. They're like, we need the death certificate. We need this. We need that. We need this lawyer thing. It was like, there was no lawyer. You know, we have to certify that you don't know taxes, that it's not a $5 million estate. I'm like, this is the only thing they own. And it's like our purchase price is like one thirty or something, you know? So, yeah. Uh, so anyway, bought the house and and got it and finally got it to close and it felt kind of bad because it delayed but it wasn't my fault right before thanksgiving and they're like i had 10 grand set up for them to rent back so they had time to move out because they had a lot of stuff and going through the estate sale and things and so they were like no we don't need that 10 grand anymore we're gonna move out we'll be out tonight we'll be out tonight no problem it's right before thanksgiving I'm like okay that's fine my guys won't start work some will probably want to work friday of after thanksgiving but we won't start work today you know two days before thanksgiving so i said sure i'll give you the 10 grand now instead of holding it and closing for the rent back well of course they didn't move out and then they called like on thanksgiving and said we're gonna need a little more time and we're leaving town to go to california to buy an rv because we need to get it and he's not going to hold the rv we have to get there and we'll be back by monday on the weekend and then we'll move out and so they left town and they left all their stuff in the house and they put everything in the garage but it was like pretty valuable stuff you know and i don't think you can just throw away somebody else's things you know i don't think that's allowed um 
if they sign away that they've done that i've i have people sign i am hereby declaring everything in the house is abandoned and i don't want it because i'm afraid of stuff like this so keep yeah, going with your story really it. so they were calling and and so then they i think i believe them i think they had hard luck buying it they bought their rv and it broke down like three times coming back oh no so now we're going on three weeks since they left and they left all their stuff there and i haven't even been there but at that point like i need work for my guys like I'm not gonna let people sit off and I kind of have two crews and one I've had for seven years and I mostly just like pay them hourly and I buy all the materials or I go for a bid on a on a job to keep them in um, but I you know I want to keep them going that's part of why they work for me and another guy they spend time and mm -hmm. then all right, I'm like all right we're gonna move everything in the garage throw it all in the garage and we're gonna start on the house um, and so we did that and did all the things and got going. Well, when they got back, they said a bunch of their stuff was missing. And it turns out probably a cleaning lady that we hired probably stole their stuff. Cause then they went over to her house uh, cause she had it on like let go or some other website thing and was selling their stuff. So then they showed up to go get it back and take it. And then they're asking about police reports and they almost had a confrontation and they called me on the phone while they're there. And it's like, Oh my gosh, could this carry on anymore? Um, so lesson learned is don't give money back until everybody's out. Um, oftentimes part of the value proposition I give is take what you want, leave the rest, you know, because sometimes people are overwhelmed. That's why they don't sell their house because they have so much stuff. And so say, yes. hey, take what you want, leave the rest. You don't have to worry about it. And we'll fill it with dumpsters, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But then this other guy that I did a wholesale to in December, which I made 23 grand on, which was cool to make some money for Christmas. Uh, he does the opposite where he says broom set swept clean and then he'll give them a rent back a lot of times because people need time to move or find another place and he'll do one month at like a very reasonable rate and then after a month it's three hundred dollars a day penalty wow he holds a lot of money back in escrow at the title company after the sale and so i think that's how he's off able to offer and pay more is because uh people oftentimes don't take their stuff or they don't leave on time or something like that. Like this situation, I could have been making 300 bucks a day for those three weeks and I could care less when they get back or not, you know? So. Um, right. Yeah. That, that's a really good tip. The daily penalty. That's a, a really good thing that you could write in your contract and, but it only works if you've got money held back in escrow. Right. Yeah. That too. Money back. <laughs> Yeah, I did that um, last August where the wholesaler that was selling me the deal, she's like, they're really nice, good people. They're just, they're going to get out. They just need an extra 10 days after close of escrow. I'm like, that's fine, but I need five grand held back. I need proof. And so I think what we did is the wholesaler agreed to hold it back from her like $13,000 fee. So at least I was protected. So she knew she was on the hook if the guy didn't get out in time. He got out in time. Everything was good. But yeah, put financial penalties or incentives, whatever, in your contracts if you can. Yeah, last year I got one where I made... <laughs> I made like 8,000 more, but then the clean out cost like about 3,000. So I made net 5,000 more just on that. And it was like a, here's where the networking stuff comes in is then my wife got a $500 referral fee because she talked to our veterinarian and the veterinarian said, Hey, there's a sign in front of my neighbor's house. I don't, you guys buy houses. And then, so then she referred to me and uh, then I went and got it and the realtor had it, but she was kind of trying to double in 
the transaction and get it before it closed. And they had a private loan that was ballooning and the mm. private lenders needed their money back. So they felt like they had to sell by the end of the month and couldn't really wait for a normal loan. So they took my price, the realtor did it. And the realtor was their realtor basically and acted as a transaction broker but uh, she negotiated the money back and then she, and she was kind of friends with them. And she's like, I can't believe they didn't take their stuff. They left it horrible. I'm like, I don't mind. I just made five grand more, you know, like <laughs> that's fine. Wow. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I just got a, um, Oh, help. sorry. <laughs> Those little things can help. I imposed uh we call it per diem here, which means daily penalty for a buyer that was closing really late on one of my flips. We had a contract. I'd already given him an extra two weeks. So I said, the only way I'm signing another extension is if you agree to $100 per diem. And it was a low-priced house. This was low-end for Southern California. It was in the high desert, like Apple Valley area. And it was 100 bucks a day, and they took another 14 days to close. I know sometimes people's lenders cover it, a realtor will cover it. Sometimes the buyers cover it, but it's usually not the buyer's fault. It's their... Um, lender mm -hmm. or somebody not doing their job but yeah i'm like okay i'm another 1400 bucks so I'll, I'll take that yeah but so, otherwise yeah. you're waiting and you had planned and you line people up maybe and yeah yeah sometimes i have like immediate use for the money thankfully then i didn't because that can really screw up a deal if you're especially if you're running from one escrow to another escrow and then oh, all of yeah. a sudden escrow number one isn't closing like but but i'm not going to be able to close the other one so yeah definitely impose financial um, penalties if you can. Hey, um, tell us about how and where you've gotten private money, if you don't mind sharing that. Uh, yeah, I guess it's been interesting. I've tried to raise private money and I try to have my elevator pitch down, but I haven't ever raised it from friends and family, even though, I mean, I think I'm a pretty good great risk, like as a personal values, I'm going to like pay somebody off, you know, no, as much as I can, you know, I've never really defaulted and I have a high credit score. I, I had a W2 job. Now I'm not as golden as I used to be, you know, then I'm on my own, but still I've done probably like 60 private loans and paid them all back on time and refer them to people. Um, but I haven't cracked that nut on like local people. And that's one of my goals is try to earn a good interest rate for people. Cause it's a really good deal. Like where do you get a good interest rate secured against a hard asset? Like that's not really available many places. Um, so that's one of my goals for the year is to try to like get out and talk to people more or maybe get it over my comfort level. But uh, real estate people that actually already got over the hurdle of lending secured against, you know, local assets and that sort of thing, they do really well. So then I just pulled the private lenders list. So I use like a national service, uh, Kent Clothiers like system. I don't know what it's called some, some find the seller, you know, or something. So I had already bought into that. So I use that, but then also my title company can just pull a search off of core logic or public records, but their data rates a lot less than I can get a lot cheaper than if I go direct and I use the same title company as much as I can. And so then it's like three cents a name or five cents a name. And then they can just pull all of them that are listed private lender in the local public records. If it's a private lender and not an institutional, that's a field in our public records. And it is a lot of places nationally. So then I just got that list. I wrote up kind of like a newsletter type of thing and then just mailed out like three in a row. Um, so you're hitting them and it wasn't too tightly spaced. And I got not that many callbacks, but several callbacks. I went to lunch with people, met them. And uh, one guy backed out, changed his mind. And I really only got one. So out of 
however many I sent, it was, you know, you got to do a pretty big volume to make stuff work. A lot of people mail, mail a hundred people once, like direct mail doesn't work. So I'm, I'm going to mail like a thousand, three times or something on a pretty handcrafted two page sort of more professional type of letter describing what I did. And it was like a three step thing. One of my friends got it and he joked around because he only got the third letter. Um, oh, <laughs> and he's like, "What is this? This is the third and final notice." I'm like, "No, dude, there really was three letters. You're just so big that your PO box is stuffed full of stuff, and you missed my first first two. You know." <laughs> oh, that's um, funny. Yeah, it wasn't. But like that's awesome. You got letters. one. I yeah, mean, and really, you only if the guy's got guy or lady has a lot of money, you really only need one if you've got a good relationship. Yeah. And she's amazing. She closes super fast. She's more of like a gut feel type of person, but she, you go meet her, you know, in gut feel and she's not going to do every house. You can see like she's elderly. She's like more uh, depression era type of person. Like she never pays a uh, $8 fee for a cashier's check. She never does that. Like if the bank tries to do it, she's like, you, you look at the account, see how much money is in that account. See if I should move that money to another bank that doesn't charge me for a piece of paper, you know, like <laughs> make plenty of money. I'm interested. You can kind of learn from people and realize, Hey, like they're older and they're maybe not running the numbers like you would or being super savvy, but they're smart. They got where they want for a reason, you know? And, yeah. Uh, yeah. So she's great and can close real quick. And she just does uh purchase price pretty much or less. If she doesn't like the house, she does less than purchase price and doesn't want to mess with draws or anything. But it's a good rate and it's quick and it's easy. And then funny enough, I met another private lender that I use a lot because uh, a flipper was foreclosing on a house that she had done in first position. This guy got six private loans on this flip and he had loans of 697 and he was trying to sell for 700 grand and that's uh, high end in our area. Yeah. We had a three grand spread over his loans and they wouldn't drop the price or whatever. So the top three got wiped out. The third lender was foreclosing and it was a lawyer that had done a lot of loans. And so then I went to the trustee sale kind of to support my first lender because she didn't quite know about all that stuff. And then I just struck up a conversation with the foreclosing lender and he had another one that he was taking a foreclosure that I could bid on or kind of get in ahead of time. And I didn't get that one. I got outbid by like a hedge fund type of place. But uh, it created a relationship and now I borrow from him a lot. And so now I've got two really good private lenders and I'm going to have to go ramp up pretty good before I run out of their money. So. That's awesome. Yeah, I've got uh, a personal, you know, one guy that lends his own money and he's at the real estate clubs and he's like publicly saying, I have $50 million. I need to loan my $50 million. He's from North Carolina. He's an older guy in his um, 70s, super sweet old guy. Very shrewd businessman though. He doesn't want to negotiate. He wants to pass through his lawyers dock fees and stuff i'm like why are you paying like 800 bucks for this dock fee you know it's just a cookie cutter thing it's like that's what it is and you got to pay it okay but like <laughs> you find someone with with money i mean he's got money he calls me every few months holly got another deal for me i need another deal so yeah once you prove yourself and you pay him on time you know they'll be coming to you if they've got cash to lend so yeah i may have to hook you up with him yeah, <laughs> maybe yeah. he wants to lend in colorado <laughs> yeah well, we're getting here to um, the end of our show. And I know you have so much more you could say. Maybe I'll have to have you on another time. But um, let's talk, if we can, just for a couple of minutes, if you can talk about estimating and the estimating sheet that you're going to give away for our free download for this episode, which is so nice and generous of you. So um, tell our listeners a little bit about that. 
Okay, I'll back it up a little bit. So I think one of the things that's maybe different about me is I don't have like a rags to riches story or something. I did grow up like I was raised by a single mom. I, you know, I got a diversity scholarship in school and I didn't know why I'm like, mom, I'm not diverse. Did they make a mistake? Don't tell them I want this money or whatever. And she's like, it's because we're poor. I'm like, we're poor, you know, like mom secretary raised us, you know, but we had everything we needed or whatever, you know, so, uh, but anyway, so you can learn and you can learn from other people's mistakes. There's so many great podcasts. I've listened to like nearly all your podcasts. You can learn so much, so much free information or borrow stuff from courses. Like my RIA had a library. So if a guy came through doing a course a year later, that course was in the library. So you can go check out that thing and you give him a member of the RIA for a hundred bucks. And then you had access to like years of courses and you can go read through and most people buy one and never do it. But I would go through tons of these things, listen to every podcast, just kind of be obsessed about it. So I probably lost money on a deal this year. I got to do the accounting. I had to fire a contractor in the middle and it didn't, I missed the summer thing and it's sold right at the end of the last year, you know, so it was like nine months instead of four months, like it should have been and stuff like that. So that one I might lose money on, or I might break even or make a little bit of money when it comes out. But other than that, I haven't lost money because I learned from other people's mistakes. And then I did a loan to the guys that owned Aria and started it. So I thought they were good at what they did to get educated on this stuff. And so, and I would ask a lot of people, I would ask for help. So that's another secret is ask for help. Like, uh, maybe you, you're a little more high profile. You might get a lot of people asking out to lunch and things like that. I meet people at the RIA. I go to RIA or networking stuff all the time because I love it. And uh, nearly nobody ever calls me back. If they call back once, they don't like come and set an appointment or do anything. Or I say, hey, come walk a job with me. They don't come walk. And so on my side, I, I have time and willingness to help people out. Uh, but if you ask for help, people will help you and then go get that free information that's out there and then get a local course of somebody that you recommend and invest in yourself and do it. Um, so those are kind of the tips. So these guys, they taught me how to do an ARV, but it was hard to learn from them because they might've been like you where they were an expert or my sister, she's really good because she's walked a thousand houses, 1500 houses with buyers and sellers and been on a foreclosure team and stuff. So she's a you know, an appraiser in her head, she can just get the value from the feel and knowing the market. Well, I couldn't learn that as an engineer that had been in like 10 houses. Like I couldn't reproduce that. And so I went to a bunch of classes on, uh, appraisers would hold classes for realtors and stuff. And I would sign up for those and go and listen. So I created uh, a spreadsheet for doing appraisals and things like that way. And then I did the same thing, uh, for systematically doing dollar per square foot of estimating. So I have this sheet that's pretty good and it leads into a scope of work. So you kind of have your scope and your estimate done at the front time. Cause that's the hard part, especially if you're going direct to seller or even if it's an MLS, you go walk a house once and you're trying to get a budget and there, there's furniture hiding holes or you don't notice the structural or you don't notice the rot or there's always ads, you know, stuff adds up or you think, Oh, it won't take that much. And then you start remodeling. And it's hard to do part of a house. Like I have a hard time doing like the light ones and like leaving the laundry room, a weird old yellow linoleum. It stands out, you know, everything yeah. else is perfect. And you got weird yellow linoleum. Uh, so I just have a good sheet that's a dollar per square foot because you can pull that off assessor's records, like different trades, like roofs are on a square 
which is that 10 by 10, 100 square foot area. Well, if you've been in the construction for years, you can bid stuff on a square because you got so many estimates and bids and roofs. But I need dollar per square foot because I can say, hey, that's a 2,400 square foot house. Dollar per square foot should be this and I'll be close. And then I add a little margin on. So I kind of have that sheet and it's specific to my area and my pricing. And I try to do as best I can to drive that pricing down. So you know, some areas, I think your paint, like we were saying, is like a dollar fifty, a dollar twenty-five all in with labor, where my labor is like probably a dollar twenty-five or a dollar fifty just for the labor, and then you got materials on it. So my paint's two to two twenty-five. And I've heard other places like East Coast with more labor shortages or higher cost of living, you know, you're talking like three dollars a square foot. Wow. Yeah. So that's super awesome that you're willing to share that. So listeners, you can take Blake's sheet and modify it to your area, talk to local contractors, talk to other investors. And I mean, really, you got to talk to who's going to do the work for you. That's what it comes down to. If, if Blake can get a price or if I can get a price, but you can't, and you've, you know, estimated your job with my pricing, but you can't get anyone to do it for that, you're going to be in trouble. So it's just a place to start. It's a reference point and it's just a nice little framework to have and go from there. And that's super generous of you to, to share that. Yeah, so, it's pretty detailed since I'm an engineer and details have four pages, but it's two sheets back to back when you go, but you can always cut it down or do rules of thumb. And I have different rules of thumb on there. Like, you know, some people do per box on a kitchen. Well, it's kind of hard to walk through a house and build rapport with the seller and count boxes. So yeah. I usually do feed a countertop or you can just say, hey, a kitchen costs this much or a, you know, a half bath costs this much and you're going to be pretty close. You know, so. Yeah. And always estimate high. <laughs> That's for sure. Cause yeah. things will come up. Surprises come up. So listeners, you can go grab that at hardhatholly.com forward slash 93. Cause we are episode number 93. And uh, if you just want to shoot me a text, um, you're going to send it to the number 38470. You're going to text to the number 38470, hard hat, all one word, no spaces. And I will shoot you back the link to get this download as well as our others. And then you'll be notified every week when our latest podcast publishes. So Blake, what parting words of advice do you have for people that are new starting? Maybe what advice would have you given to yourself 10 years ago when you were new and starting? <laughs> Yeah, I think probably like believe in yourself because I didn't believe in this because I, maybe I don't have as much hangups as other people, but still I know I have limiting beliefs that are keeping me from going to the next level, you know, and like, why am I not mailing right now? I should be mailing, you know, but I'm, oh, I'm too busy to get the list together. I should be mailing right now. I'm losing tons of money by not mailing. Uh, so we all have stuff in our head that holds us back. So that's maybe one, I don't know how you solve that problem and get over it, but maybe just like my sister did for me is, you know, yell at you, get, do it, break some eggs. Even if you're a detailed person, you can't know everything, get out there, do it. And even like uh, the bad story where maybe we would have bought a mobile home on land on accident, it still would have been a good investment, you know, um, even if I hadn't backed out of it. So uh, break a few eggs, get out there and do it. And then, you know, ask for help, join a local RIA, you know, shadow along people, do the effort, read the course. If you buy the course on the late night TV, you know, go through the darn thing, you know, and then make the offers. And it's, harder than people say, you know, it's more work than people say, but there's plenty of info out there where you can learn, ask for help. People are very generous and will help you. Um, especially if you have some, you know, if you're just asking for help and you're not doing anything, but if you have a specific thing, I need help on this, you know, I think I was successful. I have a house under contract. Please help me 
set the scope. Well, I'd already done something. I already got a house under contract. They knew I was working towards something. It wasn't just going to be wasted on somebody not doing anything. Um, so ask for help and the information's out there and it's not so hard and real estate's a great investment. It's pretty forgiving. You know, I know plenty of people that they accidentally held a house or I became an accidental landlord. Well, over time it works itself out and it can do pretty well. So usually it does. Yep. Great advice. Well, thank you so much for all of your time and sharing some of your stories and yeah, I'll have to have you back again for some more. That was a really great Blake. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks a lot. And I'll look forward to listening to all the uh, future podcasts because I know I learned a ton. Oh, thanks. And listeners get out there, take some action. Even if your action is to just get educated, take something, take a step in the right direction and get educated and then get out there and make it happen. Thanks for listening today. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review our show. And let us know in your review what you'd like to hear more of. For the show notes and free downloads for this episode and all others, go to hardhatholly.com.